Hi, I'm John. And I'm Ron, and this is Digital Divination on the No Direction Network. We are back now for episode 51 of Digital. That's right. <laughs> I got to keep saying the numbers now since I. Uh... I called you. I called you out last time. That's all right. That's all right. How's your week been? Oh, it's it's been pretty good. It's been really pretty busy. You know, we, we had games. Uh, uh, I had games Sunday night and Monday night. And then today I'm actually doing a couple recordings. So the one with you, I did one earlier with uh, Simone. Salee? I don't know if you know Simone D. Salee, editor for Paizo. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yep. Very, so that very was, smart. Oh, yeah. That's, I was just telling my wife, man, she's so articulate, so sharp. She talked about being an introvert, and it's like, but she didn't say any ums or uhs. She's just like cranking through there. I'm thinking, she does this better than me, and I'm getting kind of worried. <laughs> And you're really an extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, I think she's just super smart and, you know, I would ask questions and so I'm, I'm pretty excited to get to editing that. So I did that earlier today and now it's just me and you talking about, you know, stuff. So <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So how, how was your week? How, how have things been going for you? Oh, it's been really good. I actually wrapped up uh, a couple of very, very big freelance projects, which is a nice feeling. Oh. I've got, I've got one left. Can't talk about it. It hasn't been announced. Uh, mm. But uh, uh, the thing that is kind of neat about it is it's sort of a fun project, but it is a fun project that is actually a skill I know I'm going to be able to use in my day job at Paizo. So mm. I get to mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. play around doing this thing freelancing, and then I'll be better at what I do at Paizo for having spent some time to to do this. So it's kind of win-win. I'm really excited about it, actually. Oh, and this is actually writing or designing or developing, or is it? It's a little bit different? of a combination of writing and development. So, okay, okay. Um, it's fun. It's it's uh, revisiting some works I've done before in kind of a new way. Oh. It's it's really sort of exciting. And in fact, several of the other freelance projects that I have, I I finished my my impetus to finish them quickly was so mm-hmm. that I could start on this this last fun one. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like remember, that. <laughs> I remember telling my wife, like, oh, I could, I could start on this fun one. She's like, wait, wait, that's a reward <laughs> to be able to start on that. Yes. Like, oh, that's yes. a good point. Cool. Hey, speaking of rewards, so since our last episode, your Scaldwood Blight Kickstarter finished up, how'd that, how'd that finally close that? Oh, that was fantastic. And let me tell you how fantastic it is. We had, um, so we funded, we funded within the first week, which was good. Um, And then we set up a series of stretch goals. And Mm -hmm. I think we set up four stretch goals. And the first two of them, I had already sort of sketched out and mostly written. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we ended up just shy of the second one, which I'm going to be able to give to everybody anyway, because it's already been sketched out. Right, um, right. But we didn't go much more than that, which would require I kind of go back to the drawing board in order to do some some more serious, uh, lengthy writing. So mm-hmm. I'm able to to tick through in order to give people's rewards to them more quickly now. And I feel like that's 
one of the markers of success, being able to not just complete a Kickstarter and have the, the funding for it, but to be able to get backers their rewards in a, uh, a timely fashion and to be able to sort of give them a little bit more than maybe what they thought they were backing. And that's, that makes me feel good as the content creator. So this was your first uh, experience actually doing one of the, uh, kicking off one of these, right? Running one of these with the help of Owen Casey Stevens. Correct? Oh yeah. And I, uh, it'd be, it'd be a mistake to characterize it as just help. I mean, he is the, the <laughs> master at this who has gone <laughs> yes. through yeah. everything. I mean, even to the point where we, he and I had some lengthy conversations about what would be the best format to put this right. out in drive through RPG with the new infinite program, which was just starting at that time when we were talking mm-hmm. this out, uh, or just, in fact, it was even sort of speculative at that point. Um, but we had, he was the one that said, I think Kickstarter is going to be able to get this in the most people's hands to mm-hmm. be able to get us sort of money to do it very well. Uh, and then, and then be able to produce it at the sort of the, the, the best, the best money and best quality kind of ratio. Right. And I thought that my initial thought is that can't possibly be the case, but you're my <laughs> friend and I trust you. And it turned out to be exactly the case right. with right. the way that the, uh, the whole, the whole Kickstarter went, he was able to run that from beginning to end. I gave him a lot of feedback about here's what we ought to, here's how to describe the project. Here's how we right. might market it. And in fact, I even told him, here's some of the stretch goals that we might use a couple of the ones that I've have already been in flight and a couple of ones that would be much more of a reach and mm-hmm. how we might set those and stage those. Um, and then he was the one that, that, uh, did frankly all the work. He had a pre-launch where he got a list of emails from people who would be interested for when we launched it. And then when we launched it, made sure to follow up with all those people. Uh, it, it was just very, very well done. And, and I encourage anybody who's got something that you feel like could actually be something, um, Mm -hmm. I, Owen Casey Stevens is a real mentor in the industry. He's a real expert in the industry. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there is no reason not to reach out to him. I've had a couple of my friends that have reached out to me and said, hey, you know, for various pieces of advice in the industry, I'm like, I've got a guy that you, you know, <laughs> his, his time is valuable. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, give some money his way for his time, but it will be absolutely worth what you pay him for that. And my friends that have done that have said, yes, absolutely. This guy does know his stuff. So. Wow. It's good. It was very well done. And I really have to give a lot of credit to Owen for that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see the the products delivered out and uh, get a closer look at those things. So. Yeah, it'll be the PDFs will come first. Yeah. And the print on demand is a little slower because I have to get the print on demand files ready, send it over, get it printed, get the hard copy shipped, one to me, one to Owen, uh, and then fix all the problems that we either of us see or that both mm-hmm. of us see to make sure that when we actually do resend it for actual print on demanding, it is mm-hmm. in the best possible form. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I was talking to Connor Alexander about his coyote and crow Kickstarter. One of mm-hmm. the things he said is that the, uh, the backer program, backer kit program, whatever that they offered up has suggested quite a bit of marketing to help push things. Did you do any marketing other than Owen uh, posting, you and Owen posting things? Uh, no, media? I think that we were we were kind of a smaller scale. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like uh, Owen knew, knew the right channels and yeah. resources. He actually experimented with some types of marketing and some that mm-hmm. did work and some that didn't. So I feel like mm-hmm. it was also kind of a help for him to 
to have him learn. Oh, well, when I do these in the future, I know not to do X because I tried to do it with Scaldwood Blight and it did, just did not yeah, give yeah. the results I was hoping. So, yeah. well, neat. So, is this going to be the start of a of a new set of publishing for you? Do you think you'll keep doing Kickstarters, or is this a one well? And I done? don't. This was sort of everything kind of aligned at the right time for this. Yeah. It was a project that I'd worked on for my blog, as I've mentioned, in order to get uh, kind of a design of an entire adventure path and then putting the whole thing together in the right order with art, with maps, with full stat blocks uh, and all that is is a lot of work to do for anything. But because I'd laid a lot of the groundwork by putting it all out on my blog, um, I don't okay. have another one of these ready to go, but frankly, if you keep an eye on my blog and I start doing, <laughs> let's write an entire Starfinder yeah. AP, you could probably guess that the end point of that is going to be another Kickstarter. All right. All right. Well, you know, you could just write it and not even put it on a blog too. You know, you don't, don't have to do that part. Well, that's, you know, that's the classic Kickstarter way, right? <laughs> here is, here is a product. Yeah. Um, but there, there are a couple of options. I mean, some of the things we've yeah. talked about with that. One of the goals, one of the yeah. stretch goals that we did not meet was a Pathfinder first edition version of this adventure right. path. And I feel like that that would be a lot of work for me mentally because it means relearning a lot of mm. an entire system that I've spent a lot of energy unlearning so right. that it doesn't influence how I do uh, Pathfinder second edition. Or, or even to the point where I have, I've unlearned it pretty aggressively so that I can spot it <laughs> when other people do yeah, it in Pathfinder yeah. second edition. And yeah. I'm like, oh no, 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 we don't, we don't actually have, you know, the, the, we don't have an intimidate skill. Intimidation is the skill, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've got mm-hmm. to have an eye out for that. Well, I have to go back exactly the other direction if I wanted to put, you know, intimidates wow. and CMBs and CMDs and all kinds of stuff that, uh, that I've sort of flushed away. I'd have to sort of rebuild in my mind. So, so you, you were hoping not to make more money is what you're saying. Well, no, I, well, I wouldn't go that far because if we got that far, then it would have been worth it for the money right. that we got. It right. may still be worth it for taking that effort and then doing that as a standalone Kickstarter. Maybe that's something I'm considering once I'm past the freelance plate that, right. uh, that I've got with products. All right. Well, good. I just wanted to kind of circle back to that since we talked about the start of it. Now we're kind of wrapping up the end of it and it just happened a couple of days ago, really. So. Yep. Well, and I'm happy to talk to anybody who wants to reach out and say, Hey, you know, what's, what do you think about doing a Kickstarter? What's your experience on that? And I've got, I've got some thoughts I'm putting together that in fact, I will start, I will blog about, but the, uh, uh, generally speaking, I mean, having the right partner and the right kind of product in mind all made it very smooth for me. It's, and, and I mean, yeah. now I'm digging in on some of the work of doing some editing passes and the like to get everything cleaned right. up, uh, which is going to take, a, you know, not, not an, it's not immediate, but it's also not a very long period of time. I should probably have that finished by the next time we're here on digital divination even. Nice. So very good. All right. Well, you know, last time we had uh, indicated we were going to talk about a couple things and we got sidetracked with this whole 50th episode <laughs> retrospective. As um, as we do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of fun. I mean, it's like it's it's actually uh, a little less work not focusing on the specific topic. Um uh, but getting you know, we had mentioned that now that we're we're kind of two years in, we need to start knuckling down and actually do something. So I thought we would talk about uh, a couple topics. Um and in particular, both of them relate to 
Horizons of the Vast, uh, in part uh, the, the specific book Planet Fall, because I'm running it right now for our, our group on, on Sunday nights. And it's really kind of fresh in my memory. But also I've kind of learned quite a bit uh, having to prep for that and start running it. And I feel now it's just starting to, to go smoothly. And uh, the, the first of these is actually the, the charter system that is used in there. And then the second one, if we have time, I'll say, maybe pick your brain a little bit about uh, the precog class, if that's okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, for those that aren't familiar with Horizons of the Vast, it's a uh, guest kingmaker in space. Um, that's what people tell me. I never played kingmaker. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, in essence, you are part of a colony ship that comes down on a, on a planet that's rich with flora and fauna, but there's no uh, sapient life on this planet, which we find out later that's a good or a bad thing. Um, and you're given what's called a charter, which is uh, a large chunk of multi-resource uh, land on the planet that you can develop with your team and the resources you have and the additional resources that you can gain while you're there. And when you told us how much that is, it's huge. It's some, what is it? 10,000 square miles or something I'm like pretty, that? I think it, I, I thought it was 10,000 square miles. That seems astronomically large, except that when you take something and square it, then it really it's, you know, 10,000 would be, is that 100 times 100? 100 times 100, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's... 100 miles that's, is far, but it's, it's comprehensible, right. right? Right, right. So, and there's multiple charters around, right? So that's kind of your space. Mm -hmm. And in, in the first book, you're... you're one of the first things you have to do is set up the kind of the nature of your charter. You have to create your charter. And so the players, before they get started in actually the first gameplay, one of the things that the uh, the book says they, sh they should do is decide on going through the first basic steps of figuring out who your patron is going to be, figure out um, kind of what the basic uh, emphasis is going to be for your charter. And then also, uh, and this sets kind of the basic uh, starting scores for it, right? And so for each of the characteristics of what accord, uh, culture, economy, magic, and technology, you start off uh, with a score of zero. And then depending on a couple of these measures, you can have a, a bump it up to a one. And our particular group had uh, decided on, on the, the kind of the what, exploration yeah, exploration mm -hmm. yep. focus, um, yep. which basically gave them a one in everything except for magic, which are precog. Right, excuse me, not exploration, expansion focus. Expansion, expansion, are. right? Expansion, expansion focus. Yeah, right. Uh, and then the Viscarium was the patron, I think is what Yep. what yep. the decision was. We're all Viscarium adjacent. I do want to clarify, yeah. you don't end up with a one in everything unless you do that intentionally. That was a little bit of oh. gaming the system on oh, my right, part. Oh, right, right. So you could you have... You can actually pile up and have like as much as three or... In or one. so in something, right. but it seems to me having looked at the event system, which mm -hmm. is what dangers might befall your colony, right. or excuse me, your charter. Uh, we intentionally avoid the use of the word colony. The fact that there aren't people there, there aren't, yes. in, there aren't intelligent indigenous life at all is not only part of the plot. It's part of the intent to keep us away from a colonialist mindset. But right. anyway, in right. the, in the charter, um, I realized that because that's based on your size, if you've got a minimum number, then you mm -hmm. mitigate a lot of the potential events. And so right. 
my my contribution was, hey, let's try to keep our numbers as as spread as evenly as possible. And as right. evenly as possible to start out with would be four ones and a zero. Right, right. And and the issue with events is every, um, it's a colony turn every month, every 30 days, uh, charter turn. Ah, I'm saying mm-hmm. colony. Every charter turn, every 30 days, there's a percentage chance of an event. It starts at 15% and it increases by 15% each time that an ad- event doesn't occur until an event occurs and then it starts over again at 15%. So um, that's kind of how the system works for the events you're talking about, trying to mitigate by having a more balanced uh, structure for your charter. Right. And, that and, that ramps up a little more slowly. If I remember correctly yeah. in Kingmaker, it's a 25% chance. If it doesn't happen, the next turn it is a 75% chance. Wow. And it stays wow. 75% until it happens. And it might be after three, it just automatically, you automatically get one. I don't right. remember the details. But it was a much bigger jump that it ended up with yeah. events happening a lot more often, it felt like. Yeah. And, and so this is a little bit a little bit slower. And, and maybe... Right. Maybe because it gives you more of a chance to explore and build things up. I'm I'm not I'm not quite sure. Um, so that's kind of the basic basic colony setup that you have to kind of pick these things and get these figure out what your basic starting source is going to be. And then the last step is establishing a settlement, and you're kind of given three areas that you've scanned your your charter that are optimal. One of them is in the mountains that has good resources. One of them is kind of in the woods. It has some resources. And then one of them is at, at the edge of a lake. Uh, right. And the one the one that you chose was the, the lakeside uh, one for doing it, to start right. exploring. Way, way not recommended. Not, that was <laughs> the least ideal of the three because it lets you build resources in water. But you can't get into the water unless your party happens to be amphibious or you've got some water-going vehicle which is difficult to afford when you're only level one. So we have this opportunity right right next to us that we can't take advantage of right now. Right. And, and part of that is not understanding the, not knowing all the mechanics all the way through uh, at the beginning. Right. So you're just setting your charter, not realizing some of the other steps that you had to go through in order to develop things. And one of them being in order to go into water, you have to have a swim speed or some right. other way to, and uh, yes, no Kalo in your party. So <laughs> no, no, that, quite, quite the opposite. You might say when we've got a robot person and a mushroom person yeah. and a swarm person. Yeah. Yes. A lot of, actually a lot of unusual. Uh, I, I think that makes it kind of neat in that regard. Um, so the, and, and so that's, that was kind of the, the, the basics that we set up the first, our, our, our first session. And then our second session is when we actually got to exploration. And this is the part that uh, took me a little bit more to figure out uh, how to do. And so once I did, I, I printed up a kind of a more condensed guide and made a copy for myself and a, and a copy for the players. Um, based on the minimum speed, uh, I should say this right, based on the slowest person in your party, mm-hmm. it determines how many activities a day that you can engage in. And for our particular party, we had one person whose speed was under 30. So that made the maximum number of activities that you could engage in in a day was one. Right. Um, unless you had a vehicle, which that's kind of the plan down the road is to, to eventually get a vehicle. 
Uh, and as long as it goes over 20 miles an hour, you can actually engage in six. So it's kind of speeds up as you develop a little bit more. But well, and that's, yeah. and that's been really interesting because what it does yeah. is it sets up a situation where we initially explore very slowly and, oh, yes. we want to get over to here. It's only two hexes away, but it's going to take us like seven days to get there and then fully explore it. And then we got to think about getting back. So we yes. haven't ventured very far from our settlement. Right. And I think that actually works really well from both a narrative perspective and a, yep. and a system learning perspective, right? Because mm-hmm, we're all mm-hmm. very, okay, well, if we go here, we here, and we've got to make sure we can make it back by day 30 so that we can do the downtime right. uh, that we need to do in order to run the, uh, in order to run the charter. The, and I feel like once we get a vehicle, things are going to be going much quicker, which is okay because at that point we want to leapfrog places we've already right. explored in order to get right. past them and not waste a lot of days doing so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And the exploration part, one of the reasons why it it's so, takes so long is every time you go into a new space, a new hex from where you're starting, the number of activities it takes to move into that new hex is kind of the score for your current space plus the score for the new space uh, in terms of doing a recon of the space, right? And right. so like you all started in a plane space, which is a one. Um, aquatic planes and urban spaces are all ones. Uh, but then I think you went to a forest space next, right? Right. And that's that's three. Yeah. And right. so trying to go from e planes, which is one, to a forest, which is three, takes four uh, for exploration activities, which right. is four separate days for us. So it's okay. Right. We're going to go here into that forest. All right. Well, that's going to take four days to do it. Then we want to look around the forest. Well, it's going to take right. another three days. That's the score of the right. the forest. So right. then we are, well, and we can do so very carefully or thoroughly in order to try to right. get that number down for future moving through it purposes. Right. But I feel like the, uh, the actual exploration is, has been very, very time consuming right. because we're sort of on foot and I can kind of picture us kind of hacking through a forest with machetes in hand, trying to, right. trying to follow out. Well, we made two miles today, everyone. And we think that feels pretty good. <laughs> right. And the, the hexes themselves are supposed to be 12 miles across. So, right. Right. You know, and so you can imagine now, you know, going across the plane, I guess if you're really, if you're really exploring it and searching it carefully, I guess it would take take a long time, you know. Uh, but yeah, because there's oh. just a lot to see. Nothing, right? No, no twelve mile of plains is going to be just a flat platter, right? There's going to yeah. be little hills, uh, small rivers that aren't on the map. So oh, hey, here's an interesting sort of you know fold in the landscape we might right. want to look at. Here's a uh, you know maybe a little cave to peek into. I mean, I can see right. how that could take several days to get the to be able to look back at the hex and think we have fully, we know everything that's there and it is mm-hmm. now so safe that we're willing to bring people that we are responsible right. for into this area. <laughs> right. And, and in fact, one of the things that you have to do is if there's any dangerous creatures or things there, you have to clear them out. And so there's a random chance, depending on how carefully or uh, that you've done your recon that, something might be there that you have to encounter and take care of. We've had that happen a couple of times already. Right. And in fact, there's, there is a little bit of, we realize pretty quickly that there's kind of a right answer for there. Um, you can explore something thoroughly 
which reduces its number by one. It's sort of the value of the activities in it by one, uh, but not below one. And But that makes it more likely that you'll have yes. a random encounter. So right. you actually are incentivized to do that because you want to lower the number. But there's a risk, and the risk is a greater likelihood of uh, running into danger. If the number of the hex is already one, if it's planes, you can't lower it anyway. Don't do that. Don't be right. thorough when the number's already right. one. And so mm-hmm. we are very carefully, you know, trying to knock down or look past every single piece of undergrowth and brush we find in the forest. But on the planes, we're like, you know what? I looked over there. You looked at We're good. Let's move on. Right. Right. And, and by, by reducing it by one, basically, that decreases the time to transit back when you have to go back to the settlement for your charter turn activities. Right. And we don't yet know, even though we're kind of up in the corner of the area right. of our charter, we don't know if we're going to have to go back there or not. So there is, I think I had some temptation to say, well, this is way up in the upper corner. We don't need to be thorough. We're never going to come back here. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, but I don't, we don't know that, right? right? And it's best to make the area a little easier to navigate should we ever need to navigate back there. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, we're still just in like the first half of the first book and there are six books. I imagine you're probably going to move around your, your charter quite a bit. So, Right. And when, then we'll learn some of the things like right. what is it like to move through mountains? Those are really difficult to right. move through. Right. Fortunately, right. they're really far away from us. I can't imagine if we'd picked the mountain area we'd have spent an awful lot of time traipsing through mountains and we'd have very little exploration to show for it because it would just take so much time until we got a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess there's a little, I mean, there's upsides in any of the three starting areas, but I guess there's also downsides in each. Um, I guess maybe maybe early for me to say we picked the worst one because we can't take advantage of building a resource node there. But, but we have other advantages really close to a lot of plain Texas. So it's easy for us to get around. Right. Right. And, and you kind of alluded to, uh, resource nodes. And so what are the things you want to do is start the exploration after you do the exploration and then each charter turn, you can claim up to one hex if you want. And after you claim a hex, you could build a resource node on that. And when you build a resource node that gives you more points, more charter points to do other activities. And, right. and so that's kind of like the whole goal of this uh, charter building system is to get us enough resources to start making projects of you know substance for your, your particular settlement and maybe even eventually build new settlements as well. Right. And there's actually, and I realized how, uh, how, how rare those resource points are and how necessary it is to build resource nodes. Because the when we start each charter turn, we have to expend a number of resources points equal to the number of hexes big our uh, claimed area is. And if you start claiming a whole bunch of hexes and you're not building any resource nodes, right. then you're only rolling 1d6. And if you roll poorly, you're not even have enough to maintain what you've got. So you almost need to have, and, and putting in a resource node gives you an extra 1d4, right. uh, which is, which functionally that's not 1d4, that is 1d4 minus one because you've got, it's right. got to pay for itself. So you might not get anything from it if you happen to roll poorly on your 1d4s. Uh, and there are ways to make those numbers, make the die size higher 
for your settlement, mm-hmm. which is starts at one d six, um, and resources. We that that's far off in the future. But right now, I think early on, the plan ought to be let's establish as many resource nodes as we can. Right. Every place we put something into, where we're not planning to put a settlement or something else there. And since we only have one settlement and it's going to be a while before we get big enough to put another settlement, because the mm-hmm. next settlement has to be at least four hexes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I think that plopping down a bunch of resource nodes is, is actually really important to make sure we can even afford to build rather than just afford to try to break even. Um, right. I, because if you don't have enough to cover your existing hexes, basically there's a, chance each uh, charter uh, turn that there could be unrest that you have to quell one way or the other. Right. And, and ironically, quelling unrest requires resource points. So if you, if you didn't have enough resource points to maintain your, your area you've claimed and you've, you've fallen short and gained unrest, what's the answer? Let's try to get more resource points. You need more in order to quell your unrest. If you don't want to just start abandoning some of the hexes you've claimed, which is, I guess, maybe a, a hard reset on some of the, uh, some of the exploration and some of the, the charter building right. that you've done. Right. And eventually once you get enough resources and you are able to pay for everything fine, then you're, you're starting to build other structures and other things that give you additional bonuses for activities that you can engage in and, and, and things like that. So. Right. And I, and I took a look at this because the chart, shows what you need to have as a minimum in your scores before you can build a thing, how many resource points it takes to build it and what you get out of it when you build it. And there are a couple of things that are sort of the, that seem to me the obvious low hanging fruit. It is important to get six resource points and build a school because a school Mm -hmm. adds to two different, it adds a plus one to two different, uh, two different of your five scores. And there Mm -hmm. are a few things like that, a waste management system, some things that are kind of cheap, don't require a lot of uh, having a lot of points in the, in your scores in the first place, and then gives you points to multiple scores. Now Mm -hmm. that said, there, there then are some things to build toward. And I will, I'm not shy about telling you my mini game in this (laughs) is to get a space elevator. I want to get so that we get, as soon as we get a space elevator, that's when I'll be like, ah, done. (laughs) But there are a lot of things that make running the, the whole charter easier. The, um, I don't recall it's improved serving something that lets you take, it lets you claim two hexes a turn instead of one. If you wanted to, uh, that seems to be pretty important. It requires a minimum of, I think five points in, in two or three of your five scores. So it's something to build up to. Uh, it's built so that you can't get to it right away. You've got to kind of plan for it. Um, I've been very impressed. Look, trying to figure out the numbers behind it and see if there's some mm-hmm. way to to sort of work this in order to get an early lead. There's mm-hmm. not. And in fact, the best early lead you can take is to roll really well on that first D6 <laughs> of resources. And yes. we rolled a one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Started. But luckily, you don't have to do upkeep the first round either, though. Uh, that's true. That's true. Right. We will have so. to do it the second one. And yes. uh, that'll immediately cost us two because right. we've got two hexes and we did not put in a resource. So we're going to roll 1d6 and hope to get two or better. Right. So that you can um, actually add a resource node. Right. So, so this is kind of the mechanics of, of getting started. And what, what really slows things down uh, initially is just b- because you're going on foot, you're limited by 
the speed of your slowest player in, in how many activities you can engage in. And every time you go into a new space, uh, into a new hex, is a, a, a possibility that there will be an encounter. And then the way the scenario, uh, the adventure is written, every time you come back to the main settlement, which you have to do uh, every 30 days, there's also some encounter that happens as well. Not not necessarily a physical encounter, but some maybe a social encounter or something else. So those sorts to, of things. To show us happen. that things have happened back at right. home while we've been away. They're not right. just, the people aren't just being static. Uh, right. One of the things I really like about that, the way they, rather than overwhelm us with information about who's going on, who's who's in the settlement back home and what's going on there, we come in and you're like, oh, this person, whom you know as your environmentalist and zoologist, yeah. uh, is is doing this thing, and yeah. your chief of <laughs> settlement security, this person, whom right. you know, right? You're like, all right, well, this is the first time we're hearing of these people, right. but it's it's sensible to think that our characters knew who they were since we traveled right. all the way through Right. All, all the way through to the vast to get here. We don't, oh, of course that's this person. Yeah, we like them. Let's go help them. Even though this is the first time we as players are hearing the name, it prevents information overload of right. here, memorize this list of a hundred names. Uh, mm -hmm. And that, and that's a good way to sort of ease us into the role-playing aspect and right. getting to know the personalities in the settlement that we have. So that really mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. And what I what I think is kind of interesting about this is that the building the charter, you know, expanding your charter is almost like a mini game to the actual role playing and encounters and everything else. You know, it's it's really kind of woven in pretty well. But there are two very distinct different strategies that you're building, right? Systems for yes. doing things. You know, you're not just oh, we have a you don't just have a place we have to go get the the big boss over here and take care of him and, and rescue whoever and get the gold. You don't even right now, you have no idea what the end game is. It's, it's like your, your whole purpose here is for building the charter. And it's just so happens that you have encounters along the way. And eventually that's going to build up to a story. I think that makes sense for you at that point, if I do my job well. Yeah. Well, right, well, right now the idea is, all right, well, we don't even know what's out there. So let's right. go take a look. And right. Some of the some of the decision making we've done is actually really interesting, and I found myself falling into this too. It's things like, all right, well, mm -hmm. let's where do we want to go next? Well, maybe we go to this forest hex that's right next to us right. because who knows what's lurking in the forest, and it's kind right. of right here. We don't want to go running off someplace else and have this unexplored forest at our back, and who knows what could come out of it. And it's interesting because when I when I'm actually sort of thinking about the the mechanics of how far away it is on the hex. I'm like, no, that forest is not right behind us. It is 12 miles away right. and it's 12 miles wide. There's no way we're not going to have a whole bunch of advanced warning. It's not like something's right. going to jump out of it, grab a villager and drag it back into the forest. But, but still the mindset is there of, well, let's right. kind of look at what might be dangerous around us. So mm -hmm. uh, that's well, given us some, some immediate direction on where to go. Well, in in the adventure also kind of helps move things along a little bit in that one of the encounters that you had, which was when you get to a certain space, you you kind of run into the situation. Um, there was actually a resource there at the end that you are able to easily convert into now what looks like for our next session, some vehicles to speed up the uh, process. Right, right. Because so. it's something we found something really valuable and it, it's a real, 
it's a real testament to the style of the campaign that we didn't immediately think, oh, we've got something we can turn into a bunch of credits. What can we all buy? Right. It's, right. all right, we found something. Uh, how much can we afford vehicle-wise to make our exploration a little bit easier? Right. Right. That, right. I mean, that's right. that's the equivalent in like the Pathfinder way of, oh, we found a treasure chest full of gold coins. What's the biggest torches we can buy with it? Because we want to be able to <laughs> see when we go back yes. into the dungeon. Right. Right. So I thought that was good. And then everybody's starting to look at different vehicles and, oh, wait, we got water. You know, can, should we get a, an aquatic vehicle, a submersible or something else? So I, I think that worked, uh, that worked kind of neat how that, how, now, was that something that you wrote in? I, I'm kind of curious about that particular aspect of it. Oh, no, I don't, I, no, I had no specifics about the the charter system i hadn't helped yeah. with any of the plate i knew there were play tests going on in the office with right. that um but i wasn't involved in any of those it wasn't even really done by the time i turned in uh my adventure because knowing that the that i mean horizons of the vast is six volumes long bi-monthly right. so it's a full year from when i turned in volume one to when volume six i assume must have been turned in and having so that gave the the developers and the designers a little more time right. to sort of polish up the charter system, even though I'd already written a lot of the stuff for it and right, uh, the right. adventure stuff that happens. So no, it absolutely wasn't. It never did it cross my mind. Oh, I'd better put in a bunch of credits so that people <laughs> can buy vehicles in order to right. go fast. I didn't even know that was a rule. Right. Okay. Um, That's what very, I was wondering. It's a very yeah. sensible one as it turns yes. out. Yes. Um, but uh, that's that's led us to our thinking of, okay, well, what, how can we go further? What can we do? This is for the charter turn and building stuff up and making sure that it's safe behind you is I'm one of the things that I expect I am I am likely to sort of try to suggest for the group. I think I'll likely get voted down is <laughs> the next time we do a charter turn. Yeah. I mean, let's just let's hang around. Right. Let's kind mm. of fast forward 30 days where we don't leave and let's do two charter turns in a row really quick, right? That'll get us oh, sort of ground, yeah. grounded a little bit better. Right, right. Um, we've explored enough and we've explored enough nearby that we can ha- grab a couple more hexes, claim them as part of, you know, part of uh, as extensions of our settlement, part of our charter, and then build resource nodes there. Uh, there were some time, when I was running Kingmaker, there were some sessions we'd get together where if we we're going to get together and play for four hours, we'd spend two and a half of those hours doing a couple of successive kingdom turns. Mm-hmm. Because we'd be like, oh, well, we're just, the players would be like, oh, we're just on the cusp of being able to afford uh, to upgrade our temple to a cathedral in our right. main city. And the the player playing the cleric is like, well, that's important to me. Let's do that. Well, we had this other thing we were saving up for as well. Oh, which we can't afford. Okay, let's just do two or three kingdom turns right in a row. Right. Uh, and that way we'll be able to kind of get everything. We've sort of established the short term goals that we wanted, and then we can go off and do some more adventuring. Uh, and mm-hmm. the feeling of, yeah, you just kind of hang around your settlement and run things for a month. Right. Is actually important to the the general narrative of we're the mm-hmm. people who are in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead mm-hmm. of being the people who are in charge, they only see seven days out of, out of 30. Right. Uh, we have sometimes where we're actually still around and actually doing the work. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair point, and it's it is a way to kind of kickstart things because it otherwise if you if you do it the way we're doing it, even with the faster uh, pace of the land vehicles, it's still a slow burn, right? To get some cool stuff going, you know. Right, right. 
And now, it might not be till much, much later. Right. And I think that the I think that balances really well, right? In that some groups decide they want to stay th- very focused and they want to explore enough that they're not building their charter into absolutely unknown dangerous areas, but they're not trying mm-hmm. to ex- clear the whole map before moving right. even an right. extra couple right. of hexes. Uh, yeah, that'd be the yeah. other extreme. Right. Now, what I what I kind of um, wonder about now is, so you're really increasing the probability of events. And so now we could have a whole bunch of events coming in fast succession as well. Because of this, they're hanging it around, right? So the charter turns are happening more, more frequently. But uh, that, I think that's true. But you, you end up with the resources to deal with them as well, though, because of that. Well, and that's the intent. That's part of the game as well, was to realize yeah. that if everything, as many things are at least a one, that really mitigates the, the odds of events hurting you until your charter gets to a certain size, five hexes, I want to say, and then you want to have a minimum of two in everything, right? If we're right. actually doing kind of the careful build, then we're right. kicking those things up to the level twos that make us safe. And then when you get to right. 10 hexes, which is, I think, which feels to me kind of far down the road. Right. Um, we, that's, we don't need to have, we don't need to worry about having threes in everything until we get to there, but kind of gradually build up our, our uniform, present sort of a united front in those numbers and sort of gradually right. build them up. Tempted though I am to just gun for magic and technology so we can get a space <laughs> elevator. Well, and I and I think that's a it's good that you're thinking about the strategy because I think the rest of the group is not they're not in that mode in the charter mode yet. I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to spend some more time doing that this last session is to get everybody to see how it worked a little bit better. And I I think people get a have a better sense of that, and hopefully they'll do like you think a little bit more strategically about it. And so. Uh, That'll be neat. We'll, we'll, I think we'll, we'll be starting out with having just completed a charter turn. And so that would be a big decision point. Now, should we go out and explore more or should we, Hey, let's do another charter term so we can build a resource node on the thing we just claimed. So, right. Right. Yeah. Our very next one will be, a, our very next one will allow us to build a resource node to claim a hex and build a resource node. We do right. We get to do two things. So we'll do both of those, but we you get a cycle going where, all right. right, if each turn you're claiming a hex and building a resource node, then the next turn you're claiming another hex and putting on the resource node on the one you just claimed the turn before, and so on and so on. That's how you build, but keep your... It seems right. to me, and I guess we'll we'll learn over the course of the next... Go ahead, you know, check, yeah. check in with us on the next div- digital divination for whether or not that right. actually works or not. Well, I think I think we've given a pretty good sense for how the charter system works from the beginning and, and into it, we haven't got into projects. And so one of the things that we'll probably do is after we, we go through this in the game a while, maybe we'll come back and, and talk about the projects a little bit more detail because we'll have been in into it quite a bit more by then. Yeah. And I feel like there's uh there are two types of listeners who are going to hear us as we stumble through this, <laughs> the yes. type that's like, Oh, I've been thinking about starting this and Ron and John yeah. are saying very interesting things about, you know, what the strategy behind it might be. And then there's going to be those people who have already been through it, who are like, yeah. Oh, you don't realize what you should be doing this early. Right. Oh, listen, listen to these. Oh, sweet summer children. You have no idea what, uh, <laughs> what you should be doing. And you're just yeah. sort of fumbling along, making amateurish mistakes. All right. Well, maybe we are. We'll, we'll learn on the way. Well, it's still the, the whole AP is still relatively new. I think they just announced book four and five. So 
coming out. Right. I think number four was supposed to have already been out, but is held up. Right. In I, customs. I, right. Um, that's what the uh, and I don't I don't know very well about the way the rest of the adventure path goes. I kind of read enough to get my first one written, but I think number four is the one that's called Icebound. And so I, I wonder believe, whether there's yeah. some some sort of big freeze that hits or something. So in mm-hmm. the back of my mind, knowing that book four is called Icebound, should we be preparing? Should we be weatherizing our charter? I don't. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. Uh, you should be learning to ice skate. I think at uh, the location. Yeah, but we've that you're got at, we're right but... by this beautiful lake. <laughs> we'll be able to just skid yeah. right across the surface of it. Yeah, what I don't know, not having access to those books, is how far your charter expands from from the starting point here. Like we're because this is not the whole the whole thing. I don't think. I think you can go other places no, and beyond. I, I, I think they've actually given us a hint in what we've already yeah. seen because we've got a map that has four right. sides on it. Two of the sides are very clearly marked with darkened boxes as though do not go this way it's, yet. That lets me think we're going to go that way at some point. We're just not able to do so now. Right, 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 right. Well, I, I, I think uh, we don't have enough time to talk about the precog and I should have guessed that in advance. I didn't know. Well, no, that means, that means we're establishing a promise of content for next time. This is so unlike us, John. I know, I know. (laughs) Well, I think, I think the precog, and one of the things I'll say in our Devastation Arc game, I am starting to get a handle on my Vanguard, the upper level uh, abilities with it. Now that we're hitting level 14, Mm -hmm. I think that's something I want to talk about a little bit more because I've played Vanguards in the past up to relatively high level. And now we're getting to some uncharted territory. And I think it's, there's some cool and interesting things you can do at that level. And the importance of your, the Vanguard to the overall party is not to be underestimated with all the damage that goes flying around at that higher level. Well, I think that is true. We will, I yeah. guess then we're going to promise two subjects coming up, precogs yes. and high level Vanguards. Let's do yes. it. <laughs> I think, I think that's what we're looking to do. All right. Well, I'm John. And I'm Ron, and this is Digital Divination. Mm-hmm.